You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you who are watching us online, so glad you're able to invite us into your home. We want to invite you here to come join us. Um, we have a full packed house this morning. It's always exciting to see people of God gathering together. And what a great way to start off with baptism as we do. Just want you to know that almost every week at Scotts Hill, we are baptizing people. People are coming to faith in Christ. People are recognizing their baptism was on the wrong side of their salvation. And as a desire to be right and scripture and to make a public profession of faith that they're unashamed of their relationship with Christ. They stand before you among friends, among family, and are entering into the waters of baptism. And it's a great thing every single week to be able to watch people do that. And I just want to give a shout out to you as a faith family on how faithful you have been. Normally in the middle of July, we're hitting what's known as the summer slump. We see attendance drops off. We see giving drops off. Well, that has not been the case here at Scotts Hill. We are continuing to grow and reach more people, and your giving has been so faithful. One of our core values is we give with generosity, and you have done just that through the course of this year and since 2020. We have had a surplus every year where we've been able to do ministry and ministry effectively, so we thank God for you and your obedience and your faithfulness to him. We've got a couple of weeks left in this series that we're calling Summer on the Mount. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We've got a couple of weeks left. When we finish that series in August, we're going to do a series called The Elephant in the Room. And this is going to be a series about talking about the topics of culture openly that nobody really wants to talk about. And a lot of times we don't want to talk about those things because we're fearful of being canceled or criticized or condemned. But what we're going to do is we're going to lay out some of the four top topics in our culture and let's talk to them about them from the perspective of a biblical worldview and what does God's word have to say about race and racism and gender and sexuality and politics and identity and all of those things we're going to cover for the month of August. Then when we launch into September, we're going to do something that's going to take us several months as we're going to dive deep into the book of Romans. And we're going to have a book study just working through one of the richest theological and doctrinal works that we find in the New Testament. I don't even know how long this series is going to take us, but we're going to work through it until the Holy Spirit says, you've said enough. And so we'll work through that. But today, we're continuing in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verses 19 to 34. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the, in the seats behind you, or you can turn your attention to the screens. We're going to have all the scripture on the screen. How many of you have ever seen or experienced being in one of these machines? This is an MRI machine, magnetic, resonant, imaging machine. That's what MRI means. It's a fascinating machine because it is a non-invasive way of being able to determine diseases and diagnosis and monitoring of soft tissue in the body. 
It's better than that of an x-ray machine or a CAT scan because this is able to read soft tissues such as brain, uh, spinal cord, nerves, uh, muscles, tendons, ligaments. And what it does is it gives you a 3D image of exactly what is going on in a way that you cannot see otherwise. In fact, these machines are so popular that they find themselves in athletic facilities for colleges and professional sports because if a person is injured, they can immediately go into this machine and there will be a 3D image of exactly what is wrong and what the diagnosis is. The wonderful thing about an MRI machine, it helps you to see things that your eyes can never see in and of itself. When we come to the Word of God, the Word of God is like a spiritual MRI machine, but even better because it's always accurate. And the word of God to us, when we get involved in it, when we read it, when we study it, and when we open ourselves up to God's teaching, there are things that the Holy Spirit will bring from the word of God which will show some issues of our own lives. And while it doesn't measure the tendons and the ligaments, it always deals with the issues of the heart. And I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He writes in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When you and I seriously give ourselves to the word of God, God's word is like a spiritual scalpel. It does spiritual surgery. It begins to show the motives of our hearts that no one else can ever see, the intentions of our thoughts, all the things that are missing and the things that are jacked up and messed up in our lives, the word of God exposes. And God's desire is to use his word to do spiritual surgery that we would have hearts that would be more in line like the Lord Jesus himself. When we get to chapter 6, in, in our study today, and when we begin to look at verses 19 to 34, Jesus is putting us in a spiritual MRI. He's putting us in a place where he's going to check the devotion of our heart and our trust in him. Now, one of the things that I know, a lot of people, if you ask Christians, hey, are you devoted to the Lord? Are you fully committed to him? Do you trust him with all your heart? Most believers will say, well, of course I do. And then Jesus comes along with his word. He says, well, let's see if that's really true. I'm going to run you through a spiritual MRI. And this spiritual MRI is going to be able to detect the depth of your devotion and your trust in me. And that's what he does in this passage. And what does he use in this passage? Of all the things that Jesus could use to check our devotion and our absolute trust in him, he uses money. He uses wealth. He uses possessions. And this is not a message about money. This is not a message about tithing. We're not going to take up an offering at the end of this. This is not a message about a capital fund campaign. This is a message that's going to detect how deep our devotion to Jesus really is and how deeply is our trust in him. In fact, if there's one point of this whole message, it is this. A wholehearted devotion and confident trust in Jesus is far better than anything the world could offer. 
An absolute, confident devotion to him and trust in him is better than anything the world can ever give to you. In this passage, Jesus is going to set up a contrast between those who are pursuing the treasures of earth and those who are pursuing the treasures of heaven. And in each of those pursuits, there is a process and an outcome. And each of those pursuits is going to be able to determine your level of depth and your confidence in Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 19, and we're going to just read all the way to verse 34. And you will see the process, you will see the contrast. Then we're going to unpack these, looking at each of these pursuits and then make some practical applications at the end. Here's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? For Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's the main point again. A wholehearted devotion and confident trust in Jesus is better than anything the world can offer. And what Jesus is about to do is say, let's get in the MRI. Let's find out where you are. Let's look at your devotion. Let's look at your trust. And we're going to look at it from the point of money. Now, let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying having money and possessions are bad. He is not saying that. Nowhere in scripture is there a prohibition against possessions, property, or wealth. Nowhere. We could go through the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament and you will find countless godly men and women who were blessed beyond imagination 
with wealth and possessions. So Jesus is not saying it's bad to have wealth and possessions. Jesus is not saying having a financial plan for the future is bad. We are told to prepare for the future. In fact, Solomon gives us in Proverbs the illustration of the ant who who stores up supplies for the future. And we're told that good, godly men who are leading their families well are the ones who provide for the future and the sustenance of their families. Jesus is not saying don't plan. And neither is Jesus saying that we cannot enjoy the blessings of wealth and possessions. He's not saying that you can't enjoy it. Enjoying those things is bad. That's not what he's saying. And we just finished Ecclesiastes. And when we went all through Ecclesiastes, we could see Solomon saying, enjoy good food. Enjoy good drink. Enjoy families as we enjoy the blessings of God together. Jesus is not saying that. But what Jesus is saying is a contrast between the two. He is not saying, do not enjoy the blessings that God has given you. He is saying, be careful what you pursue. You are either going to pursue the blessings of life or you're going to pursue the blesser of all of life. And who you pursue determines the outcome of your joy and your confidence. So he begins with the first and he says this, that a life devoted to earthly treasures brings four things. Number one, it leads to futility. If you're going to devote your life to just earthly treasures, the first thing you're going to experience is futility, foolishness. This is what he says in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's interesting. In the Greek, it says, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. In other words, don't just go and collect everything you can and accumulate everything you can, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. That is the American view. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Why? He says, because moth and rust will destroy and thieves will steal. The things of this earth will not last He says, when you're pursuing the treasures of the world for yourself and you're hoarding them, you are not a generous person. You're not the kind of person that wants to advance the kingdom of God, but what you have in your mind is your own kingdom. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to protect it. He uses a moth. He says, the moth destroys the clothing. How many of you remember going into your grandmother's uh, um, closet and you smell the moth balls? How many of you remember that? Am I the only person in here that had a grandmother that did that? I mean, she smelled like a mothball everywhere she went. And those mothballs were to keep the moths out because she was protecting all those fabulous clothes from the 70s. Who would want to do that anyway? And, but the smallest little thing can destroy some of your greatest treasures is what Jesus is saying. He said, rust is going to destroy the things that you have that are metal. They will not last on this earth. We live on the coast. We know all about salt, air, and metal, don't we? And we see what it does in the corrosion and how short-lived are our best possessions. And then the thieves who can break in. Here's the point that Jesus is saying. He says, when you're pursuing the treasures of this world, it leads to futility and foolishness because you cannot keep them. There can be an economic crash and we can lose everything. Inflation, recession, storms, 
hurricanes, we know about that, and tornadoes. This became a reality to me um, back in 2016. My wife and I are from Denham Springs, Louisiana. We were planning to go on a vacation together, but at that point, a thousand-year flood came through Baton Rouge area and Denham Springs. 40,000 homes were flooded. Some of those were our family's homes. So what did we do? We drove to Louisiana, and we were going to spend the next two weeks mudding out homes, cutting out sheetrock, and just helping them because of this devastating flood. When I arrived in Denham Springs, I saw something that I will never forget. Etched in my mind is the total loss of what people try to hang on to. On every single street in Denham Springs, in front of every single house in Denham Springs, was all of their life's possessions piled at the road for the garbage pit. I'm talking mountains. And you drive down the road, and on the left side and on the right side, nothing but furniture and all the things that they thought were so valuable were gone overnight. But there was one house that had a sign, and I'll never forget it. The sign said, we lost our stuff, but we still have our Savior, Jesus. Right in the front yard, in the midst of all the destruction. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that we can't hold on to what we have. It's not lasting. And when you're pursuing the things of this world and building up the treasures of this world for yourself, you know that in America, we have more storage units than Star Starbucks coffees? I mean, every neighborhood's got a new one coming up. Drive down the road, future storage building. What does that say? That says that we've got too much junk. We put it in the storage room. We're going to protect it. We're going to pay this insane amount every single month to pay for something that we forgot we have and we'll never use. And the moths and the rust and the thieves will take it. And Jesus is saying it's futility. It's useless. Here's the second problem. When you're pursuing the treasures of earth, it blurs your perspective. Our perspectives can become blurred and Jesus gives this beautiful little parable about the eye. Here's what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye functions the way it's designed to, your body is full of light and you can carry out all the functions of humanity. But if your eye is bad, if it's diseased, or if there's something wrong with it, then your whole body will be full of darkness. He's not saying that you're dark as in sin. He's just saying that your body cannot function. Blind people are limited in what they can do. Now, some blind people have done some incredibly uh, great achievements in their blindness, but it still prohibits them from seeing clearly all the things of life. If the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? What is Jesus' point? Here's his point. When you're pursuing after the things of the world and the treasures of the world and the material possessions and the money and the wealth and the positions and the power, your vision becomes blurred. You no longer see the things of God. You no longer see the things of the kingdom. You're enamored with the things of the world and now your focus is on the things of the world. All of a sudden, it's all about you. It's about your convenience. It's about how you can be comfortable. It's about how you can build your kingdom and you forget about the kingdom of God and you're no longer focusing and building the work of the kingdom, but it's all about you. 
And then what happens is you lose perspective. And when you lose perspective, you no longer are living for eternity. You're living for the temporal, which will not last. Isn't that amazing? I read about this young Christian businessman. He was in technology, and in this whole world of technology, people are advancing. His business began to grow by leaps and bounds. He opened up a second one, a third one, and he was just incredibly blessed with all of these finances. He found himself being pursuing the next biggest venture, and he had money like he had never dreamt, and he was miserable. He went and visited one of his older um, um, I would say, disciplers of his life of years gone by. The man was very, very much mature in his faith, and he was incredibly successful in business. The young man went to his office, which was in a high-rise building. He said, I got a question for you. He said, you've been so successful in all of your businesses. You've been able to manage your Christian faith, keep that intact in a way that's honoring to God, and help others and still be happy. What's your secret? He said, well, let me show you something. He took him to a window. And he said, look out this window. What do you see? He said, I see a beautiful park. I see a lake. I see people, mothers with little children as they're running and playing, teenagers throwing the Frisbee, people jogging. I see their pets. I see, their, I see life and it's till it's full. He said, great. He says, come look at this mirror. What do you see? He said, I see a sad, miserable man. And the old man said, the difference between the window and the mirror is this. The mirror is lined with silver paint on the back. And because your perspective is of the things of this world, you no longer see the needs of people. And that's exactly what happens when we begin to buy into all the treasures of the world, we lose sight of the perspective of God's kingdom and the needs for people around us. So not only does it lead us to futility, not only does it blur our perspective, here's the third thing, we become enslaved to money. We become enslaved to the things that we pursue Here's what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's impossible for you to serve both. He's not talking about a relationship of employers. You can work for multiple employers. You can have a part-time job here and a part-time job here. He's not talking about that. He's talking about slavery. He's talking about a master and a slave relationship. A slave did not have two masters or a part-time master. A slave was absolutely committed to one master and one master had ownership and control over the slave. And what he's saying is this, you cannot serve God in money. Now, some of us wanna push back on this, don't we? We like to push back and say, well, no, wait a minute. I can pursue all of my financial goals and still have Jesus as Lord and Savior. That might be possible, but what Jesus is saying is this, that when you start living for the things of this world, the problem is not what you own. The problem is what owns you. I want you to think about this. People who are so living for the things of this world are in so much debt from credit cards that they literally have to work for the credit card company. 
They've extended themselves beyond what they need to be for a mortgage, and now they're working for the bank. And they've got a very expensive car in the midst of that, so they're working for the car dealership. And in every aspect of their life, they become slaves to the people that they borrowed from. And everything they have, they're working to pay off, which will never be kept. Jesus says, be careful. When you do these things, your devotion is clear. And the process that you're going down is going to be one that will lead you into slavery. And here's the last part of it. It leads to a life of worry and anxiety. Now, you would think people who have money, who have possessions, would be the least likely people to be anxious and to worry. But Jesus talks about anxiety here. And by the way, the anxiety he talks about in this passage is directly linked to the issue of treasures on earth. It's not about any other things. There are all kinds of different anxiety, but this anxiety has to do with material possessions and wealth. He puts it this way. He says, therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? It is therefore because of what I've just said, do not be anxious. Three times in this passage, he gives the command not to be anxious. Six times in this passage, he uses the word anxiety. The word anxiety literally means to strangle. When a person experiences anxiety, it's their, 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 their veins and their arteries become constricted and it prevents the flow of blood as it should. There's a strangling effect. And what he says, that don't be anxious. Don't let yourself be strangled by these things. He says about what your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, he says, don't worry. Why? Because worry is a sin. Do you realize that when you and I worry, it is sinful? When you and I worry, it's offensive to God? Jesus tells us three reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one, worry questions the ability or God's ability to care for you. When we worry, we really question God's ability to take care of us. I love the way the writer of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 puts it. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to intercession for them. God's the one who created you. God knows everything about you. He knows completely how to take care of you. And when we worry, we question his ability. Can he really do this? But here's the second thing worry does. It questions God's affection to care for us. Does he really love me? Does he really care about me? If God cared about me, he wouldn't let me be in this place. Jesus answers that. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. The birds teach us. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't build a barn. They don't store their things. Every single day, they wake up, they sing, they go about their business. As far as I know, birds are not on anti-anxiety medication. Every single day, they know that they're taken care of without any fear. Then he goes on. He says, are you not of more value than they? Of which, and, and which of you can be anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. This is amazing. 
Then he goes on to the second thing. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like any of these. We just finished Ecclesiastes. We saw how rich and how, how influential and how majestic was Solomon and everything that he had and the lilies of the field make him look like a pauper. Because God takes care of them. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He's using a lesser to greater argument. If God loves the birds, certainly he loves humanity more. Now, in our culture, that might be confusing because a lot of people who put more stock in a spotted owl than they do in a baby in a womb, but never God. And he's using this. If God cares for the birds and he takes care of them, how much more valuable are you? If God cares for the lilies of the field, he will he not also clothe you? And here's the point, that if he takes care of the creatures that he's made, how much more will he not take care of those who are created in his image and those who are recreated in his image with a relationship with Jesus and have the imputed righteousness of Jesus in them? And then he says in Romans chapter eight, verse 33, he says, if he did not spare his own son, how much more will he not freely give you all things? There's never a point in our life where we should question the ability of God. There's never a point in our life where we should question his affection for us because he gave his son on our behalf. Here's the third thing. Worry questions God's attention over us. Is he really paying attention to me? And Jesus answers that question. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. There's not a thing in your life that the Lord is not aware of. He knows everything single need. Now, for those who are pursuing the treasures of the world, it leads them to a place of anxiety and questioning the character of God. What's the remedy? Here it is, verse 33. The remedy, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. First things first. Quit pursuing the kingdoms of the world Seek my kingdom. And we saw in the Lord's prayer, my kingdom means his reign and his rule in our life and his righteous character. And now Jesus contrasts this. Let me give you the difference between those who are devoted to the treasures of the earth and those who are devoted to the treasures of heaven. Here's the difference. A life devoted to heavenly treasures enjoys security. It enjoys security. What you have will never be taken away. Jesus puts it this way, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasure the treasures of heaven. He says, and neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now here's the interesting thing. Jesus never tells us what the treasures of heaven are. He assumes that we know. And what are the treasures of heaven? The treasures of heaven is Christ's likeness, hope, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's walking a life of holiness and purity. It's living a life of service. In other words, it's living the very character of Christ. And when you and I live according to those things and have the perspective of his character and nature, 
then the things that we are storing up in heaven will never be taken away. Rust cannot take it. No moth can take it. No thief is going to break in. It is secure. In fact, I love the way Peter puts it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to inherit an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Think about this. The inheritance we have is imperishable, It's undefiled. It will never fade. It is kept in heaven for you. And who's guarding it? God himself is guarding the treasures that you send up by your faithful life in Christ. And they will never be taken away. They will be your crown of life. And you are absolutely secure. Jim Elliott was a missionary with New Tribes Missions. He and four of his friends went into the jungles of Ecuador. And there they had been ministering to people who had never seen a white person before. Nate Saint flew that plane right into what they called the beach. And as they got out, they started ministering. But then these Alka Indians got suspicious of them and they killed all five of these missionaries. Jim Elliott had one model of his life that he lived by. As a matter of fact, that model has become a very famous statement that many people have adopted. And here's what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. When you're pursuing the treasures of heaven, you are gaining things that you can never lose in Christ. But here's the second thing that happens when a person is pursuing heavenly treasures. They live with confidence. There's an incredible confidence that you can have. And matter of fact, Jesus says it this way, and all these things will be added to you. All what things? All the things I just talked about. All the basic needs of life, they'll be added to you. You can be absolutely confident that the God who saved you is a God who can sustain you and he will be faithful to take care of your needs. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of, of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now he says according. He doesn't say he blesses you out of his blessings. He blesses you according to his blessings, which is a far different thing. I might bless you out of my inheritance. I can give you $10. If I have $10 million, I'm just blessing you out of it. If I give it to you according to it, it's going to be a lot more than $10. And what God does is he takes care of our needs. And when I'm pursuing him and I'm seeking the treasures of heaven and living for eternity, I don't have to worry about a thing because my confidence is he will never let me go without what I need. When Chris and I were in seminary, we were poor. I mean, we were poor. We, we just didn't have any money. She worked um, at a, a, a business college. I went to school and I was an intern at a church 90 miles away. And so when we were in New Orleans, we just didn't have any money. And there were a lot of times we wondered, we don't even know how we're going to pay our bills. But we decided that God's in charge of this situation and he's going to minister to us. He's going to take care of us. There was a day, I mean, we got really close to needing some money. 
Well, Chris came home from work and for whatever reason, she drove my beat up pickup truck. I always seem to have a beat up pickup truck, but she drove my beat up pickup truck. She got home. She said, this lady at the bank ran in the back of me. She called the insurance and they're supposed to be sending us a check. And I said, well, we'll never get that thing in time. The next week we got a check for $170 for the insurance company. All it did was put a little dent in my bumper. And I said, what? This is crazy. This lady ran in the back of you and you got $170? I mean, my wife learned a lot from that. She's been in many wrecks since then. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she ain't in here, so uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's what God does. And we can be absolutely confident that when, listen, when I'm, when I'm living for the things of heaven, I can trust in him above all things. Here's the last thing. We walk in contentment. We can walk in contentment. You know what's the opposite of contentment? Anxiety, a lack of peace. When I'm living for the things of the world, I'm never content. As a matter of fact, consider this. All the advertisement in our culture is designed to make us discontent. I don't have that. I need that. But when I'm walking in Christ, and I'm pursuing the things that honor him, then there's a contentment to me. I love the way Paul writes it in 1 Timothy chapter six. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I love that. And then he closes out in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble. The end. You have just gone through a spiritual MRI this morning. And the question comes back, how's your devotion to Jesus? And how is your trust in him to take care of all your needs. What do we do with this? Because every one of us has to deal with the reality of material possessions. We have to deal with the temptations that are before us. We have to deal with the desires of our own flesh. We have to deal with the things that we're never content. That new iPhone, I need that new iPhone. That new style car, I need that new style car. Um, um, I, I need to get that, that, that um, air fryer that we've always wanted. You know, uh, My wife and I just now bought a video cassette tape player. I don't know if you ever heard of those things. But, um, and there's a place called Blockbuster, I think. That, that, no. But the thing is this. We, I just lost it. I'm just sorry. But the reality is this. What do we do? How do we do this? Let me give you two things in closing that will help you pursue the things of heaven over the things of earth. How do we wrap this down? How do we practically make this thing something that's meaningful to us? Number one, steward God's blessings well. Why do I say that? Every person in this room has been given blessings by God that varies. Some of you, God has blessed immensely with wealth and with possessions. Some of you, you're newly married and you're struggling in these early years of trying to make it financially. Some of you are are, are in the middle age and now you're coming to retirement. You're thinking about what do I need to do in that? Some of you are just starting your careers. But wherever you are, it's been God's providence that has given you what you have. 
And what you have is not yours. A steward is a manager of things that belongs to someone else. And as a believer, everything you have belongs to God. And he calls you to steward it, to use it for his glory. Whatever it is, use it for his glory. If God has blessed you, bless others with the blessings that he's given to you. And when you do that, God gives you more blessings so that you can bless more people for the advancement of the kingdom and for his glory. I'm convinced some of us will never rise to financial goals because it's always about us and not other people. Steward what God has given you well. Here's the second thing. Simplify your life. Simplify it. What would happen if we took all the junk out of our attics that we don't use and we give them to people who need them? What would happen if we would reduce our expenses by emptying out the storage units that we don't even know we have and give them away? What would happen if we'd say, I don't need that newest phone. I don't need that big house. I don't need that payment on that car, but I can simplify my life in such a way that I am free of the temptation of being owned by things. So when we do those things, we can get to the place where we're thinking more about kingdom-mindedness and eternal life. I would say there's a third thing. I didn't put it on there, but here it is. Share Jesus with others. Tell them how Jesus fulfills your every need. I could tell you story after story after story in our lives how the Lord Jesus has come through at right moments for us and our absolute confidence is in him. So listen, you're in the MRI and the Lord Jesus is listening to you to say, Yeah, I'm devoted to you. I trust you. And he's saying, really? Do you really? And you know where you are in that. Give your attention to the things of eternity because everything you have now will corrode away. Somebody else will get your junk and you can't take it with you. To eternity, but the things that you are building up now for Christ will always be yours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for the challenge that you have given to us. And Father, I know that for the believer here this morning, we know the temptation of living in a world and being enticed by the things of the world, but know that you've called us to kingdom living. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the truth of this message today and would challenge our hearts, not condemn us, but to challenge us and to change us that we would be vessels of kingdom life. And Father, if there are those here this morning without Christ, I pray, Father, that you would speak to their own hearts and that they would come to understand that the things of this world will not satisfy and cannot give me salvation, but only Jesus Christ, your son, 
is the only means of hope for me. And that they would be drawn to the truth of your word and your Holy Spirit would bring about in them regeneration. And that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, as we leave here today, immediately when we get into our cars, immediately when we turn on our radios or our television sets, we're going to hear the advertisements of the world that tell us all the things we need but won't last. And Father, your word tells us the things that are true and where we need to trust you and walk in those areas and all these things will be added to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.